Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here. If you're here for the very first time, we're especially glad that you came and joined us this morning, or maybe you were here last week for Easter and you came back again, so welcome back. Um, We exist as a church to share grow and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And one of the things we did this week to demonstrate that is we hosted the Southeast Asia Prayer Center's mission conference on Friday and Saturday. What that means, a lot of things, but one of the things it means is our worship team, most of them, that was the eighth time they've led worship since Friday morning. So I think we should thank them for their perseverance. Yeah, they're they're great. Uh, number one, great group of believers in Jesus, great group of brothers and sisters, but they are also very talented as well. So we thank them for that. And uh, the mission conference, uh, the theme was make room for God's glory. And uh, we, uh, we were, if you were here, uh, we were built up in, in God's power and love. And, and actually we have a couple, I don't exactly know where they are, right back there they are, from Delaware who came in for the mission conference and stuck, stuck around. So we're glad you're here with us today in worship too. Um, we're in this series, it's called Make War, and uh, that seems like an odd title, maybe, uh, if you were thinking about some kind of external war, uh, which actually it is an external war, but a tangible war, it's a spiritual war we're talking about. We're going to make war, uh, specifically, uh, these seven weeks, started last week at Easter, on the seven deadly sins. All sin is deadly, but the seven deadly sins, last week we talked about pride, and today we're going to talk about lust. Now, the thing about lust is, it's one of those words that... Um, you know, we don't, don't use it that much, but it's interesting that in America, and, and actually in pretty much the whole English language, we almost don't distinguish between two words. In fact, what do you think of when I say the word love? Well, there are a lot of different meanings for love, aren't there? I could say I love pizza. I love the Pittsburgh Pirates, and so you should feel sorry for me. You know, I love, uh, I love my wife, Nancy. Uh, I love Jesus. And, and those words don't mean the same thing, but we use the same word. In fact, we have a very strange thing that we say, uh, in, 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 at least in this culture, we say that we make love, you know, and, and actually a husband and wife, that is true, but often when we use that expression, it's just lust. And so what we're going to talk about today is how do we overcome this uh, second of the seven deadly sins of lust through the power of God in Jesus Christ. And uh, we, we have a take-home point here. For those of you who are new, every week we seek to make one point. And as I said last weekend, the, the take-home point is going to be the same for every week of this series. And we hope that we'll take it home, we'll pray about it, we'll think about it, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll live it out in the week ahead. And so here is the take-home point for the second time. Same take-home point. Things are not what they seem. There's a war going on, and you play a vital role in the outcome. And especially when we talk about lust, things aren't what they seem. Because most often, if I use that word, or anybody uses that word, we're thinking about something physical. But when Jesus used the word, he was talking about a matter of the heart. Now, Jesus and all of the biblical characters, uh, you know, they thought of us, human beings, as uh, tripartite, three parts. A body, which is physical and we can see it. A soul, which we cannot see. And the soul uh, is our mind, our emotions, and our will. And then our spirit, which is the part of us that connects with the spirit of God. And you can't see that either uh, once we've trusted Jesus, Savior and Lord. In any case, Jesus thought lust was much more a matter of the soul than just of the body. 
And that was very radical uh, in his day, still radical in our day, actually. But uh, let's define lust as the dictionary defines it. There are three uh, definitions we're going to look at. Number one, intense sexual desire or appetite. Number two, uncontrolled or illicit sexual desire or appetite, lecherousness. And number three, a passionate or overmastering desire or craving, usually followed by the word for, a lust for power. So lust does operate in the physical realm. It does. But it also operates in our souls. And uh, that's what Jesus is going to tell us about. In fact, his solution is extremely radical uh, when we first hear it. So uh, I'll let you hear it whenever we get to that point. But right now, I wanted us to understand that lust is engaged when we're tempted. And remember, temptation is not sin. Temptation is simply a, a sort of a, a push towards sin. But we're only sinning when we've actually succumbed to the temptation and, and actually committed the sin. But So lust is engaged when we're tempted to act it out, whether in our souls or in our bodies. And we're going to keep that distinction before us this morning as we move into this scripture. Uh, Jesus calls us to the seemingly impossible task of rooting lust, not only, only out of our physical area of our lives, but out of our hearts, out of our, out of our souls. So uh, let's point out something a little bit obvious this morning. I've used the word lust like six times, and most churches wouldn't use the word lust six times in 60 years. Um, they just tend to say, well, let's just pretend that's not a word, and let's pretend that sexuality isn't real. But the truth of the matter is God created us male and female. That's a good thing. I mean, it's in Genesis 1 and 2 where everything's perfect. And the problem is what happens after Genesis 3 when sin comes into the world, and we misuse every good gift of God. And so we talk about what the Bible talks about. And since Jesus, in his most important message ever, called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Matthew is the, one of the four books that uh, are in the Bible that are about Jesus' life, teachings, death, and resurrection. And, and in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, there is the greatest collection of Jesus' teaching. It occurred, it's called the Sermon on the Mount because he went up on a mountain. I guess he wanted to make it hard for people to follow him. I don't know. But anyway, he went up on a mountain, and the people who followed got to hear. And, and what he talked about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 30 is this matter of lust. So we're going to do the same thing we did last week. If you're able, would you please stand and join me as we say uh, together the words of Jesus. These are words of Jesus. So let's, uh, let's say them together. You have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust... Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, these words aren't easy to hear, but they're true. And so we ask that as we reflect on them that your Holy Spirit will speak to us in our hearts, in our souls, our spirits. God, we pray uh, that we will not only understand the words, but in your power that we will apply them so that we will live in a way that brings you glory and brings victory over the devil this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, 
I do want to say one more thing about the take-home point. I just sort of forgot to underline that. And that is the last part where it says you play a vital role in the outcome. If you're here for the first time, what we're not saying is that our role plays a vital role in the outcome of the war. The war's already over, actually. Jesus died on the cross and his shed blood defeated Satan. But there are battles still going on. So the vital role we play is in our individual lives as well as in the lives of those around us, our family members, our loved ones, you know, people that we work with or go to school with, because how we engage the battles will determine the outcome for us as well as for others. And that outcome can be eternal uh, for, for all of us. So anyway, in order to understand what Jesus told us here, we have to understand this key point. For Jesus, lust and all other sins originate in the heart and soul. There were a group of people in Jesus' day. We've all heard about them if we've ever you know, read the Bible or come to church at all. The group was known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a very, very good group of people. Now, I know that you might go, wait a minute. I thought the Pharisees were against Jesus. They were. The Pharisees, for the most part, were against Jesus. But they were very religious people. They were very good people. In fact, most of the Pharisees would have memorized what we would call the first five books of the Bible. And some of them would have memorized the whole Old Testament. They sought to live those out every day of their lives. But the difference between them and Jesus was they thought that living out the rules of God that are found in the law of Moses, law of Moses, they thought it was a matter of what they did physically. For example, when they thought of adultery, which Jesus spoke of here, they were thinking of a physical action, and that was it. If you didn't commit a physical action of having sexual intercourse with somebody that wasn't your spouse, then you weren't committing adultery. But Jesus said, no, 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 it's a matter of the heart. And so there was this ongoing fight between the Pharisees and Jesus. In fact, we all know a Pharisee. If, we've, if we're followers of Jesus, we know a very, very prominent Pharisee who became a Christian. His name is Paul. He was originally called Saul. He was rising in the ranks among the Pharisees. He, he was a very, very dedicated Pharisee. In fact, what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, it's amazing, he says... I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And then listen to this. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So if you looked Paul in the eye before he became a follower of Jesus, and you said, Paul, when it comes to pride, lust, sloth, greed, envy, wrath, and gluttony, have you ever done any of those? Do you do those in your daily life? He would say, he would look at square in the eye and say, no. I don't do any of those. I'm perfect when it comes to those. Now, here's the thing. It's a very important truth that we all need to understand, and it's this. That's what, that's what religion does. Religion sets up standards that make it possible to please God 100% of the time. Religion is a human effort to get to God or whatever deity they believe in, and, and you can set up standards in religion by which you can be considered perfect. But the thing is, Jesus wasn't fond of religion, and neither am I. Actually, I oftentimes when I'm traveling, you know, like on a, let's say I'm on a plane going somewhere and somebody sits next to me and they, you know, how people say, what do you do for a living? Well, I usually try to say, well, I'm a communicator because I don't really want to say I'm a pastor because that ends up a lot of conversations. But when I say I'm a pastor, what happens is they'll say, oh, I'm not very religious many times. And I always say, neither am I, man. I can't stand religious people. They just make me, you know, and they're like, what? You just said you're a pastor. 
Yes, I'm a pastor, but I'm not very religious because, you know, Jesus wasn't really in favor of religion either. The religious people are the people that killed Jesus. Well, it was the Romans, but it was the religious people that caused Jesus to be crucified. So if you're here today, one of the things that Jesus wants to do by what he just told us is to get us over the concept that a relationship with God is about religion, about doing good things. It's not about that. That, That's what Jesus wants to help us to understand and be clear about. And and the thing is, you know, as, as Jesus said the words that we read today, if, if a Pharisee were there listening, the Pharisee would understand what Jesus was saying is, it's impossible. It's impossible not to have lust in your heart. So it's impossible to follow God's will. And, and that's, that's the major debate between religion and faith, between a relationship with God and just you know, doing stuff. So let's go back and see what... what uh, huh. What Jesus said here, we already read it together, but we're going to look at it sort of verse by verse, and we're going to see what Jesus said that made it perfectly clear. It's not what we do or don't do outwardly, but it's what our hearts say inwardly that determines our faith. So he said this first. He said, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, Jesus was referring to the seventh commandment. The Jews all knew the Ten Commandments. I mean, if you were a little Jewish kid, boy or girl, five, six, seven years old, and they asked you, what are the Ten Commandments? They would be able to recite one, two, three, four, five, and they would know seven. I mean, Jesus just requoted the seventh commandment. Everybody would know that. In fact, the Pharisees who were in the crowd were probably going, you know, we, we never do that one. I mean, that, of all of them, that's one we would never do. So Jesus says... Okay, you know the seventh commandment. You've heard how it's written. And then he says, but. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) How can you say but when you're talking about the word of God? The word of God is written, and he goes, but I say. Wait, who cares what you say, Jesus? Unless you're God. Oh, there's the point. You see, unless you're God, it doesn't matter what you say because the scripture is God's truth. And so if you read God's truth, you have heard it written, you shall not commit adultery. And then he goes, but I say to you? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm God. That's a pretty extreme statement. Well, it's not really. It's a radical statement, but it's not an extreme statement. Let me see what, tell you what I, what I mean by that. Extreme. It's extreme if it's not true. It's radical if it is true. You see, Jesus walked on water. Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus cast demons out of people. When they killed Jesus, he rose from the dead. Those are all things that very much seem like God. (laughs) So Jesus is saying, they don't know he's God yet, but what he's saying is, here's the law. You've all heard it. You've all read it. You can recite it. Now what I'm telling you is, that's not enough. I'm telling you that if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. You see, it's not the outward act anymore. It's the inward act. And now the Pharisees are, I mean, they're ready. They're probably ready to crucify him right now. Because Jesus just ruined their religion. And Jesus just ruined our religion. Because we can't do that. In fact, Jesus wants us to understand that as his followers, it's not a matter of rules. You're not a good Christian if you don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go out with the girls that do. It doesn't make you a good Christian. It doesn't make you a good Christian if you don't do the stuff you're not supposed to do and do do the stuff you are supposed to do. And the Pharisees just, hmm, they couldn't stand that idea. And constantly there was this battle going on back and forth. This war was going on, literally. And it is a spiritual war because the devil loves religion. 
I don't know if you know that, but the devil loves religion because if he can get us caught up in religion, then we'll never get caught up in the relationship with the living God of the universe. And so here's the thing that Jesus does next. He uses two extreme examples to show us overcoming sin in our lives is impossible in our own effort. So here's the first one. He says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, I like how the New Living Translation makes us left-handers feel included. Because, you know, when it was originally written, it said, even your right eye. But the New Living Translation tries to be inclusive and says, even your good eye. But here's the thing. I don't care if it's my left eye or my right eye. I don't want to gouge out either one. So here's the question. Is he being literal or figurative in his speech here? Figurative, yes. Obviously, he's being figurative because, okay, let's say I am lusting after a woman, so I pluck out my left eye. Okay, now here I am. I got my right eye still, right? So I can still lust after a woman. So I got to pluck out my right eye. Now I can't see. But I can still think about women. And so I can still have lust in my heart. So Jesus wasn't talking literally. He was talking figuratively. He, he was showing us that this is how radical it is for us to, to um, not sin in that regard. And then he, he uses the second example. He says, and if your hand, even your stronger hand, which of course used to be your right hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So, you know, if we want to overcome lust in our lives, it's not going to come by plucking, plucking out our eyes and cutting off our hands. I mean, we'd all be called stumpy and we'd still be lusting, right? I mean, the bottom line is we would not be able to do it. And that's what Jesus is saying. There's nobody, nobody, nobody who can do this. It's a radical statement. The radical statement is right here. Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with his heart. It's not an extreme statement. It's a radical statement. You see, what Jesus is saying is if you want to know who a person really is, you have to look into their heart. Now, we can't do that, but God can. In fact, there's no other way to know if somebody is a good person than to look inside of them. It's not what we do on the outside. We've seen lots of people who do good stuff on the outside who are not good people. And eventually we find that out, you know, and we do good stuff on the outside and all of us know that we're not good people by nature. So when Jesus tells us to cut off our hands or gouge out an eye to assure we're going to get into heaven by eliminating lust. That would be very extreme if it weren't that he wasn't telling us a literal statement. It's a radical statement by which he makes us aware of one thing. We're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. I mean, we're all going to go to hell, basically, is what Jesus is saying here. Because none of us can do what he's asking us to do. And even if we did what he asked us to do, we would still be sinning by his standards. So there is no good news in this passage. I want you to understand, this is bad news. In fact, if I said, hey, let's all go home now, you'd all be going, oh, man, isn't he going to give us, like, the answer? Yes, I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to give you the hope, because it's not in this passage. It's in the passage we read last week. You know, today's scripture doesn't give us a solution to the sin of lust, but Jesus' death and resurrection do. Jesus' resurrection from the dead, is the source of our hope. There is no other source of hope. If, if, if Jesus is going to use the standard that it's what's in our heart that makes us good or bad, then our hearts are all bad, and we can't be good. And so bottom line is, this is what's important for us to understand, that God judges us by a higher standard than anyone could have ever imagined. 
And we all want to consider ourselves to be good. In fact, I've used this illustration many times here at New Life. If you're new here, it's a very easy one to understand. We all want to have a line. I call it the line theory, you know. And what we want to do is put the devil at that end of the line and put Jesus at that end of the line. And then we want to look around and we want to sort of put ourselves somewhere on the line. And we know we're not like the devil, so we at least have to be this far over. You know, we're sort of getting like maybe if we've been coming to church, maybe we're more like Jesus. So we edge our way over, edge our way over through our lives by doing good deeds. And we think we're going to be, you know, we're going to get it over to the point where Jesus will accept us if we just get good enough. And here's what I know about most people. Most people think they're better than most people which is statistically impossible. Some of you will get that in the parking lot. Okay, so most people can't be better than most people, right? So what, we're all in trouble. And we're all, I mean, we're, none of us are good. In fact, that's what the scripture says, a hundred different ways that none of us are good. But Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then the most amazing thing ever, he rose from the dead to prove that he had conquered death, he had conquered sin, and he's going to give that to us. In fact, when Jesus went back to heaven, he, he said, before he went back to heaven, he said to the, the disciples, the apostles, he said, if you, you know, wait until you receive power, the power was the Holy Spirit, if you wait till then, then you are going to be able to change the world because you'll be changed. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But the thing that I want all of us to understand is that if we have knowledge of Jesus' death and resurrection, but we don't act on it, it doesn't change us. Information minus application, just information. And until we apply the information, we don't get transformed. And, and so here's today's commitment. It says simply this, I will make on war on lust through Jesus' resurrection power this week. I will make war on lust through Jesus' resurrection power this week. So every one of the commitments in this series is going to say, I will make war on something, whatever the sin is, uh, by the resurrection power of Jesus this week. So what is the resurrection power of Jesus? That's where I want to pick up. You know, Jesus went to heaven, and he told the guys and girls to pray, 120 of them. They all prayed for 10 days, and then the Holy Spirit came. That's the resurrection power of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, 120 people on the earth believed in Jesus. And they finally received Jesus, the, the power of Jesus, his spirit, his resurrection power in their lives. And they went out and told everybody in the town of Jerusalem that day about Jesus. And there were people from all over the world because it was a Jewish holy day of Pentecost. And they all could speak to the people in their own language. And then afterwards, Peter stood up and he preached a message. And at the end of that message, in which he said that you all crucified Jesus, either you were there or you vicariously crucified Jesus through your sin. He rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead, proving that he is the Messiah, the Son of the, God, the living God. And, and all you have to do is receive him. And, and you will receive that promise of the Holy Spirit. And so that day, 3,000 people trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the church, the first day of the church was a megachurch. And then a couple weeks later, Peter and John went to the temple to pray. And there was a lame beggar. He couldn't walk, hadn't walked all of his life. And, and uh, Peter and John didn't have any money, but they, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in resurrection power, they, they you know, prayed for him and the man could walk. And, and that's, the, that's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. And, and so as people looked and saw this guy who they knew had been sitting out there you know, begging all of his life, suddenly he's walking around with Peter and John. They ask, what's, what's going on? And once again, Peter and John say, it's Jesus. It's the power of his resurrection. It's the Holy Spirit. And, and now 5,000 people are believers. And, and the biblical scholars believe that in the first year of the church, 
120,000 people became believers in Jerusalem alone. And, and the resurrection power was spreading and the power of Jesus was spreading and, and it's still here today. That's the good news. That's the hope that we have is that when Jesus Christ becomes Savior and Lord in our lives, that we can overcome pride and lust and sloth and envy and all, the, all of them, not just those seven, but all the sin that there is. And, and there is no other hope. Because other than that, what's going to happen is we are going to continue when we see a beautiful woman or a beautiful man, I guess, what is it? Not beautiful. Handsome. Handsome man. Um, it's easier in Spanish. You can just add an A or O. But anyway, um, you know, or I want you to understand, lust can be about cars. You know, cars driving down the road, Maserati. I don't know what kind you like, Porsche. I don't, I don't really know that much about cars, but I think Porsches and Maseratis are nice cars. Anyway, so you look at it, you go, whoa, I want to have that. That's lust, right? So how do you overcome that? I mean, how does the resurrection power work? And here's the thing I want you to understand. I've been a follower of Jesus since I was 12, and I'm going to turn 60 in June. So if you do the math, I've been following Jesus for longer than most of you have been alive. And here's what I know. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's really hard to follow Jesus. Even when all you have to do is let him be in control. Oh, there's the part that's hard. <laughs> Only part we have to do is let him be in control. That's the hard part. In fact, there was a very bright Christian man named G.K. Chesterton, and I've given this quote many times over the years here at New Life. He said this about the Christian faith. He said, the Christian life hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. In other words, a lot of people have never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord because it looks hard. And so they just say, I'd rather just sin. It's easier. It is easier. I mean, we all do it. It's, it's our nature. It's like falling off a log. You know, I mean, we, that's our nature. So it's easier. But even after we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, what happens is we have this transformation in the Holy Spirit's in our life and we know that we have this power, but most of us say, well, wait a minute. If, if he's in charge, then... Oh, yeah, I'm not. And if I'm not, he is. That means I'm going to have to do what he says. And that's the hard part. That even though we have the power, we just don't really necessarily want the power. So what I've experienced over, you know, now what is it, 48 eight years? 30, yeah, 48. Oh, my goodness. I am getting old. 48 years of following Jesus is I still fail a lot of times. But more and more, I do yield myself, and, and, and what happens when I do is Jesus does take control and the Holy Spirit does work. And how, here's how it works for me. I'm not saying it'll work this way for you, but this works for me when it comes to lust. I see a beautiful woman, and the first thing I do is I go, good job, God. It's the truth. Good job, God. And then I ask myself a question. I wonder if she knows Jesus. Because you know what that just did? It took it away from me wanting that, which is lust, Overmastering, you know, it's not there anymore. Because I just, I just actually love the woman in the true sense of the word. I have a self-sacrificing care for her. So I now love her in the real, real sense of Jesus loving, you know, dying for us, whatever it is. You know, I wonder if she knows Jesus because now she just became a person to me, not something. And a couple of years ago, I think it was three years ago now, I was in Cuba and I was talking about this very subject because it's, you know, you all have probably heard about the, you know, the Latin man you know, and everything. and it's, it, it, They have that feeling, whether it's true or not. I don't know. I think it's all men. But the Latin men in particular, supposedly you know, they have to have all these women and stuff. And pastors are actually both men and women. But, so I was talking about lust, and I just said what I just said. You know, good job, God. You know, I wonder if she knows Jesus. And, and then I, I looked at this woman who was sitting in the, in the, in the uh, place, 
And she obviously had, had a stroke or something, you know, and her, her mouth was drooping down her eye. And, 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 and God said to me, and all women are beautiful. And all women are beautiful. I was like, yes. So now, whether I see a woman or a man or a Maserati, okay, you're going to say, how can you say, it's a beautiful, good job, God. Well, hey, who designed the Maserati? An engineer, right? People put it together. Who designed people? God. By definition, it was a good job for God to create the people that could create the Maserati. So then do I say, I wonder if she, he knows Jesus? Of course not. I say, I wonder if the person in the car knows Jesus. You see, you work back to that. If you always work back to that, that's the Holy Spirit at work in you. Because I can tell you that. And if you don't know Jesus, it's not going to work. In fact, nothing I've said today makes any sense or works if you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Because you can't have a change of heart, which is what Jesus says we all have to have until he's in there. And when he's in there by his Holy Spirit, then what can happen is we can be new people. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, and I mean trust, I mean commit. You know, a lot of times people say, oh, would you want to decide for Jesus today? Jesus didn't say go, all, go into all the world and make decisions. He said go into all the world and make disciples. Disciples are committed to Jesus, and they're committed to giving up control. And if you never did that before and you want to today, it's simple, but it's not easy. The Christian life is hard. I'm going to promise you that. But it's the best hard life there is. I, I think all life is hard, and the one that's in Jesus Christ is easier than the other one at the end of the day. Anyway, if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, which means he died for you, and you accept that, he, he, you know, he died for your sins, and, for, and he overcame death for you. We all should want that. But what about the Lord part? That's the hard part. You can simply say, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. Control. I'm giving my heart to you, my soul, my, my body, my spirit, everything. It's yours. And if you do that today, then it changes everything. And you may experience some warm feeling. You may not. You may have a new power that you, know, you can immediately tell. You may not. But what I know after 48 years of that is I have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life in, in such a more powerful way than I ever did when I was 12 or 22 or 42 or 52 or yesterday because it's a growing reality when we make it real and trust him so we're going to go out into a world that's going to give us every opportunity to experience the sin of lust heck we're going to have that experience right here but we also have the, the reality of the living God whose son Jesus came into this world perfect life died on our, our behalf rose again and gives us his spirit. So what about those of us who have done that? It's really simpler for us, not easier, but simpler. All we have to do is remember who we are. We're the people that have been redeemed and called out of sin by Jesus Christ. And then we have to call on the Holy Spirit to live in us and work through us every time that we have a tendency towards lust or pride or whichever one it is today or in this moment. Let's pray and ask for that power once again. Almighty God, I thank you so much for everyone here. I thank you so much for everyone who has already trusted you as Savior and Lord. I pray for each of us, God, that we will be filled anew with your Holy Spirit. I pray that when we see anyone or anything, that we will acknowledge your creative power there, and we will 
think about how we can serve. God, I pray for anyone in the room who hasn't trusted you as Savior and Lord, that, that today you will um, open their minds, their hearts, their souls, spirits, and bodies to you. And they will simply say yes. And that will start a new life that will continue into eternity with you. God, we pray that we can live our lives to your glory and to your honor. Not just today, but certainly today. Every day you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.